Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. I know you're probably never supposed to say this on a podcast, but today is going to be a little bit shorter, mostly because I'm really just trying to jam this thing in between a thousand other things going on. Sorry, guys. It's just sort of the nature of the beast. You know, anybody that's listened to this show for a long time knows that uh, I have two children, and I unfortunately can't just sit at home and do nothing all day, which, by the way, a lot of people would get bored uh, of that existence. I don't think that I would, actually. I think it sounds pretty good. Uh, And there are going to be some days where time is just a little bit shorter. So today's show, a little bit quicker. But that doesn't mean it ain't gonna be any, not gonna be any worse. It's gonna be, be wonderful. It's gonna be a sprint, a delightful sprint through this Monday show. Off season episode number eighty-one. The month of July officially in the books. Welcome to August, everybody. Happy August. Uh, we had, we actually went more than double listeners over last July, which is just nuts when you think about the fact that this show has been in existence. For, you know, five and a half-ish years now, to see that kind of staggering growth is uh, just absurd, and um, I'm blown away. So thank you again to everybody for your continued listenership, patronage, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Let's try to make this the biggest August of all time. I have pretty good confidence that it will be, but, you know, you never know when the the first day hits. I'm Dan Baspers, at Dan Baspers on Twitter. This is a sports ethos presentation. Fantasy NBA Today has been since day one, back when we were hoop ball, now sports ethos. We're having a wing ding here. On Friday, we talked a bit about Yahoo's very first ranking set. I didn't want to spend more than one show on it right out of the, right out of the shoot, mostly because it's all going to move a ton. Top few names have pretty much settled in right now, but, I mean, just, like, just wait. In the next week, they're all going to bounce around, and then we're going to be like, oh, why did we dedicate that even that one show to it? But it was worth it was worth coming out with because there was, like, you could learn something from it. Most of the names are not going to move a ton. A handful of names will move a ton. Many names will move a little, and a couple names won't move at all. But the fact that most of the names on the board probably just small adjustments, did give us at least a, a bit of an early indicator on where the big box site feels certain guys should be. With a grain of salt, of course, uh, I would venture to guess that someone like, a, say, Tyrese Halliburton probably moves a bunch. He'll be one of the guys that jumps a long way. There'll be some young guys that are being drafted in like the 175, or, and not being drafted, but they're pre-ranked. They'll move around as kind of the shine hits or the, and the buzz hits. But I wanted to pivot back today into uh, a couple of the mailbag questions I didn't get to last week. We're not going to do all of them, so apologies. If you submitted a mailbag question, this isn't one of those, like, we're going to hit every single one type of shows. Because a lot of this stuff we will get to at a slightly later date. So I wanted to use this mailbag sequence, which was, I think, two episodes last week. We'll do it today, and then we'll probably transition into something else, maybe even as early as tomorrow, to cover stuff that... Frankly, I hadn't thought of as a topic that you guys might want to hear. What the hell did we do last week? Uh, We talked about players coming off of big injury. That was a question from Mike uh, inside the building. The um, 
second episode on the mailbag was how to deal with sort of the team element of handicapping. That was from Dr. Strangelove on Twitter. And today, I wanted to get into, and this might be, we'll see it, maybe to be one or two questions off the deal. Um, but a lot of the questions are things, and frankly, you know what, that's what actually what we'll start with. Because a lot of you guys ask questions that we're going to get to as part of our normal programming. Um, like my good friend, Andre, what do you expect from Scotty Barnes and Cade in their sophomore seasons? We'll get to that when we start doing buckets, when we break down almost the entire league one by one, or at least like, you know, the top 100, 150 type of players. That's the type of thing that we will get to. So don't worry, Andre, I see your question. Sorry, Andre. I want you to know, I do know how to pronounce it, even if I don't do a great job on some of our uh, staff calls. <laughs> awesome, awesome, dude. Um, the head-to-head versus roto dichotomy is something that I think we I would like to cover sooner. So that's another question that probably gets slotted in, possibly for today. Uh, Eric was asking about a do-not-draft list or a do-not-draft-bucket. We will get to those guys, although I will say just quickly here in kind of a lightning round sort of deal, I don't have a do-not-draft list, and I don't think anybody should. And I get it. You know, this is a little bit pedantic. It's, it's you know, how we pick our words. It's uh, my do-not-draft list is guys that are just going way earlier than I would ever consider them. So they don't, they aren't specifically guys I wouldn't draft. Like, I would happily put John Morant on my fantasy team. That would be fun. I'd love to watch him play every ball game. But simple fact remains, his pre-rank is 14, and I ain't taking him there. So he effectively becomes a do-not-draft player unless he just magically falls to, like, 35 to 40 in a league that I'm in, and then he's no longer a do-not-draft. So that's kind of the lightning round version of that one. Uh, we had a question about Cat, who we kind of covered last week, actually. So, uh, Chris, I... Um, breaking down my sort of second bucket type of thing. So you can go back to that one. Um, favorite punt categories. We'll probably talk to Adam Stock about that as we get closer to the year. He's my one of my favorite punt guys. He does big-time punt guides at his own website. Um, so that's one that we can cover in a little bit. Um, Jalen Smith, the question out in, uh, in Indy, a guy we will be covering shortly. So the point that I'm getting at here is... And, you know, what a question at Alperen Sengun. Individual players that you guys asked about in your questions to me last week, I'm not addressing as part of this mailbag. Because they're too specific, but also because we're going to talk about them. I'm definitely going to talk about Sengun at some point here as we go through players and slot them into buckets. He has set for a very large step forward this season. And you saw a little bit of it down the stretch last year. He's going to be an extraordinarily buzzy name who has all the fantasy tools imaginable, and that's almost definitely going to make him too buzzy. But at the same time, yes, obviously big step forward. Uh, we had a question about who to pair with Nikola Jokic. That's an interesting question. Um, it probably doesn't make up an entire episode of a mailbag show. And obviously the, the simple answer is anybody because he was so freaking good last year. Like, anybody who's not a corpse is a great pairing with Nikola Jokic. Uh, guys that got drafted in, like, the 25 range last year. The guys that are that uh, Yahoo pre-ranked in that neighborhood this season, 
Uh, Donovan Mitchell, Devin Booker, Demonis Sabonis, Freddie Van Fleet. That's 22 through 25. And then on the other side of that uh, little flip there is DeJounte Murray, Darius Garland, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Tyrese Halliburton. Um, You know, other than the guys in there that make me very nervous, you know, you're pretty much good with any of them with Jokic, who's, I guess you could argue his only weakness is that he only blocks a shot per game and only hits 1.3 three-pointers, but all that stuff is very easy to deal with, and it doesn't have to be in the second round. That's just the thing. Like, you don't need to go hunt a three-point shooter to pair with Nikola Jokic that early. If you wanted to go Devin Booker there, get a bunch of scoring, not much. I mean, slightly better defensive stats last year, but, you know, 2.73s on good percentages, that would be fine with me. If you wanted to go a different direction, if you want to do the Halliburton thing, Maybe not quite as many threes, very good percentages, better defensive stats, probably lower scoring. Really buttress your assists there. Donovan Mitchell, big-time scoring numbers, good steals, big threes. All of that stuff is really easy. Like, And you could even go big man if you wanted to. I wouldn't go Jared Allen that early, but if you're looking at sort of like, what's a big man? Robert Williams, his time lord, his pre-rank is 33. If you wanted to go big, big to start, I got no problem with that. Because Time Lord, now you shore up rebounds, you cover blocks, your field goal percent is astronomically good. He gets pretty good steals. So you got good steals from centers. You got your blocks, you got your rebounds. Then your third round pick, you just come back, make sure you get somebody that scores a little bit. So the answer to the Oakish question is really anybody. He's been that good, and he's not... The stuff he's weak in, he's only like the tiniest bit weak. So you don't have to cover anything in the second round. It's not a a pairing game the way that, like in the old days, the old days meaning two years ago, you know, you took if you took Dame in the first round, who has always been a, a very safe mid-first until he got hurt this year, but there was an obvious weak point with him, which was the big man stats. He didn't rebound, he didn't block shots. Field goal percent wasn't that great, but, you know, it didn't tank you. It wasn't a punt-free uh, field goal percent guy. So if you took Dame in the first round, you were probably looking at a big either in the second or the third, someone like a Rudy Gobert, where, you know, they kind of cancel each other out in the free throw stuff, and then you'd, you're probably going to want a good foul shooter in round three, uh, or like a Bam Adebayo, who's not as bad at free throws, but not as good at blocks. It's not like that when you have Jokic in the first. You can do anything you want. Which, of course, I guess answers a different question that wasn't really asked in the mailbag of how much should I do to try to get to Nikola Jokic, and the answer is everything you possibly can. We had a question about some of the injured guys' ADPs. Kind of covered that during our injured show last year, so Urban, hopefully uh, we got you with that one. Um, Question about rookies. We will get to that as we're sorting through the guys. Questions about the old man squad. We'll get to those as well. Non-rookies, late flyers. We'll get to that as well. Don't worry, guys. Is Rozier a third-rounder? I mean, by what he's about to do this year? Probably. Would, is he going to get drafted there? Probably not. <laughs> well, let's see what this one is. I got to read this one to see if I can, if it's worth doing it today. I read it all the way through. Um, yeah, no, nah, we'll get to that one at another time. That one had to do with like how to balance free throw percent. Best answer to that question is if you have someone who's bad at a percentage, use for the moment at least, and um, 
more of these tools are actually coming to Sports Ethos soon, so I'll start yelling at you to use those. Uh, use the Basketball Monster Player ranking page. You can actually see the impact that, the weighted impact of free throw and field goal percentages that way. Like, uh, if, you, if you go to the 2021, 20, sorry, 2020, 2021 season, not this most recent one, but the previous one, you can see that Dame's positive free throw impact was almost the exact same as Gobert's negative free throw impact that year. So those guys canceled each other out, and you were a full mid-pack free throw team if that was your early pairing. And then if you took someone like a Chris Paul in the third, that would push you back above. If you took you know Devin Booker at that spot, that would have pushed you back above, things like that. So that's how you can kind of grade that thing out. Now, obviously, you're going on historical numbers when you're drafting there, but that's a pretty good indicator of what you're going to get in the future. So peeling back around, I think, to uh, maybe the, the question that we can extrapolate a bit on uh, on this show, and it has to do with the head-to-head versus roto situation of a lot of the guys that we've been talking about. So it's kind of the, you know, the fight for number two. I was basically talking about totals value which is not at all all-encompassing. What I mean by that is, when you talk about totals, it's easy to say, okay, well, you know, so-and-so had the best totals rank this last year, so that made him the best in whatever format you were looking at. Um, you know, like looking at this last season, it went Jokic, Embiid, and then Cat. But... When you talk about the head-to-head versus Roto split, looking at totals is most of the information, but not all of it. Because in Roto, it doesn't matter when games are missed. Totals value is totals value. And we've talked many times before, and this is, this is a really good question that ended up sort of sprawling into some other answers that we're getting to here. In Roto, at the top of your draft, you are very much looking at totals value. I will not hear it any other way. Because if you have a per-game guy at the top who doesn't play in enough games, I kind of don't care. You know, we, we with a games cap format, the value at every roster spot on your team has to be filled in with whatever you would pick up off the waiver wire. So, if your first-round pick only played in 50-some-odd games, like a Kevin Durant this last year, you have to fill in 27 games of streamer-level value. And I think we also need to be a bit honest with ourselves. Streamer, we like to, in our minds, envision streamers being like a top 75 guy. They're not. It's not that way all the time. Some of the time it is. Sometimes you can find a 50 for a couple of games. Sometimes you can find a 75 for a week or two. But a lot of the time, if you're counting on filling in a spot, you're going to get a guy that dumps a 140-level performance on your team, or worse. And it probably averages out to just outside the top 100. Your streamer-level guy. Somewhere in that neck of the woods. So, again, when we're talking about the top here at Roto, you've got to do a tiny bit of math, but not a ton. So, like, if you look at Kevin Durant, who played in 55 games this last year, and you added 27 streamer-level bodies to it, where does that get that roster slot? Does that catch up with some guys in front of him? 
Yeah, I mean, he probably passes Giannis and Miles Bridges and DeMar DeRozan and LaMelo Ball. Those guys are all, like, right in front of KD. And then he probably sputters a bit. Because you also have to add streamer-level fill-ins to those guys. But is he going to catch the top few? Jason Tatum, Trey Young, maybe Cat, no. Embiid, no. So there's a little bit of math there, adding in the fill-in games, 27 fill-in games alongside KD's 55 performances. For Cat, you'd add eight fill-in games alongside his 74. Cat most likely stays ahead, Embiid definitely stays ahead. It just gives you an indication of how far down the board you should look if you're hunting durability at the top, which you generally should be, but you can't leave a guy who is that far out ahead of the pack on per game on the board. Now, if you're deciding between guys that were a little bit farther down the list, instead of KD, who was kind of the runaway number two per game player, uh, like an Anthony Davis, super injury prone, drafted like near 10, versus you know a Tatum or a Halliburton or a LaMelo Ball, that's a little bit different because AD is only, you know, a half round ahead of those guys on a per game basis. And then they're probably blowing him out of the water by totals. So a little bit of math at the top. Mostly you want the durable guy in Roto in the first round and you definitely want him in head to head, but we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, But you do have to do a tiny bit of math on that fill in slot. As you get a bit later in your draft in Roto, you can almost ignore durability altogether. Once you get to like the sixth, seventh round type of range, At that point, there's just not that much separating your uh, plodding, durable guy. Like, if you had pick 80, would you rather have the number 80 guy who plays in 80 games, or would you rather have the number 50 guy who plays in number 50 games? I'd probably go for the 50 and 50. I'd rather just, and I'll log 32 fill-ins of the top 100 guy. I didn't even do the math before coming on this podcast, but if you take 50 top 50 performances and add 32 top 100 performances to that, you're probably a little bit out in front of basically 82 top 80 performances because, as we've talked about before, 80 is much closer to 100 than it is to 50. Not just the, like, okay, one's 30 away, the other one's 20 away. From the actual player-to-player separation of it, the distance between player values gets larger the farther you go up the board. So each slot to go higher is harder than going lower. 80 and 100 is much closer than 80 and 60. If you want to take, you know, even up the numbers on both sides there. But we talk about Roto a lot in this podcast, and so I only wanted to spend five or six minutes on that side. The the rest of this show, I want to talk about the head-to-head side, because you're right. Andre with the question, but I'm sure many of you were thinking it. Dan, what do you do with some of those situations at the top if you're talking head-to-head? Well, in head-to-head at the beginning, now you're actually in exclusively totals. Exclusively. Because you can't really know when players are going to miss games other than maybe the tanking teams. Typically, those teams do rest their guys down the stretch. And typically, some of those games overlap with the fantasy playoffs. Other than the obvious tanking teams. Teams like the Rockets, who are still going to be bad. The Thunder, who are still going to be bad. 
and there's a couple others, but it's not important to name them all this year. Just, you know, we're, we're talking philosophically right now because the teams will name, but the strategy stays the same. If you remove those teams from the equation and you're just looking at player values and, you know, totals versus per game stuff, you really do want totals at the beginning and head-to-head. So that same discussion we just had a minute ago of Kevin Durant versus LaMelo Ball or whatever, that group of guys in front of him, you'd want the guys in front of him because you don't know when those games are getting missed. And yes, you'll still have some games where you can fill in the games around KD. But for the most part, if someone doesn't play in head-to-head, you take a zero. And if you're in a weekly league and they sit out the week after, you know, playing half of a game on Monday, then you're really getting smashed. So missed games are amplified. And you got most of you guys already know this stuff, but I think there are a lot of people listening for the first time this offseason, so we, we kind of want to dial it back a little bit. Head-to-head super amplifies the, the issue of missed games pretty much throughout your entire draft. At the top, it's really easy to just look and say, well, yeah, obviously I want the guy who plays in more ball games, but you're basically, what you're actually saying is I want the guy who had better, had better totals rank. And frankly, there are situations where you might want the guy with lower totals rank who did play in, in a few more games. Like, if you're looking at last year, Steph and KD basically had the exact same totals rank on the year. Steph played in nine extra ball games. You probably want the guy playing in nine extra ball games because some of those have a better chance of falling into your fantasy playoffs. As it turned out this last year, that wasn't the case for Steph. He got hurt at the end of the year. But you want the guy playing in more games because, again, you want to make sure they fall in your fantasy playoffs. KD was more valuable during... I mean, it's hard to say here because he did miss games during the middle of the year. If you assume missed games have an equal probability of happening anywhere throughout the season, that means that more missed games means higher probability of those happening in the playoffs. Sure, if we look at KD and Steph, and we don't know when they missed games this last year, they're a bad reality example because KD missed games before the fantasy playoffs and Steph missed them in them, but forget that for a minute and just say one of these guys played in nine extra ball games, which is just a shade over 10% more. That means that, on average, he has about a 10% higher chance of playing in fantasy playoff games. That's something I would want if two guys had the exact same totals rank, because I trust I'm going to get to the playoffs. Yeah, maybe the other guy is more impactful in his regular season games or even his playoff fantasy playoff games that he's in for your team, but I, I pretty much trust I'm going to make the playoffs in my head-to-head league, so I want to make sure that my guys are playing in those when I get there. So yes, there are instances where I would even take the slightly lower-ranked totals player in head-to-head up at the top of the board if I thought it was going to get me into the fantasy playoffs. As you work your way down the board and get into those slightly later picks, it becomes a tougher call. And I think the the answer is, well, it's not super simple, but if I'm going to try to simplify the answer, it's That 6th, 7th round area that I was talking about on the Roto side, that's too early to start making that decision in head-to-head. You don't want the all-upside guys there. Because your 6th or 7th rounder, you're going to count on having in your lineup all season long. So in that instance, you probably do want the top 80 guy playing in 80 ballgames. You don't have to worry about him. As you get a little bit later, however, 
that's when you take some shots and you're just like, you know what, maybe this is the bleeping year that this guy stays healthy. Or maybe this is the year that this dude takes a big step forward because in head-to-head you can be much more cutthroat. If someone is dinking and doinking along at top 115 in head-to-head, you can drop them for a streamer. In Roto, you might hang on, see if anything changes. Like, there isn't that impetus to make something happen every second because you don't have to start every guy every day. In head-to-head, you do. So probably around pick 100 in head-to-head, you really start taking some serious shots, maybe even a tiny bit sooner. Where in Roto, you don't have to at that spot. I mean, or excuse me, I, let me change my phrasing there. At Roto, you've already been doing it by like 20, 30 picks earlier at that spot. You can do whatever the hell you want, is what I should say, <laughs> at 100, 115, because you've been doing it already for a little while. Head-to-head, you just push that marker a little bit later. But the original question, which I've completely diverged from here, is what about the fight for that second bucket? All these who-should-go-number-two stuff on the head-to-head side. Well, yeah, KD is not so much the shoe in there that he probably is for me on the Roto side. And looking at the Yahoo pre-ranks tells a little bit of that story as well. you got Trey Young at three, who I'm still downgrading because of DeJounte Murray, but he obviously gets a bump, durability bump in head-to-head. Cat gets a big bump in head-to-head. Tatum is a guy that I would probably move even higher because of the durability stuff. You go a little younger. And yeah, probably that's a reason that I tend to gravitate towards older players because more of my leagues are roto than head-to-head. But in head-to-head, you go a little bit younger. You go with the guy that you think gets you five or six extra games because that gives you a you know, whatever it is, 5 to 15% better chance that that dude's playing in your fantasy playoffs. Again, ignoring any possible tank guys at the top, which I don't know that there even are. Who are those guys in the in the front of the board that we thought were pretty durable? LaMelo, Trey, Cat, uh, Halliburton, Tatum. That's probably the five. Those guys get a much better look in head-to-head than they do in Roto. And frankly, you know, we had Tatum pretty far up the board on the Roto side anyway. Halliburton was pretty far up on the Roto side, so they just get bumped a little bit farther up. And then guys like LeBron, KD, Embiid, they take a little step backwards on the head-to-head side because there is a big fear there. Those are the fear guys. And then there's kind of a big, chunky in-between of the Giannis's and the Stephs and the Lucas who... And even Dame this year, but he's getting drafted farther down the board. Of will they get to like 68 games? Those other guys, you're like, yeah, they're probably not gonna. But you know, on Roto, I don't care as much. All right, that's it. I went even a little bit longer than I thought I would. So I don't know. Quoth Maui, you're welcome. I'm Dan Vesperus. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a Sports Ethos presentation. Go get yourself a fantasy pass. It's got football in it already, and basketball coming up in just a couple of weeks. I'll tell you more about that tomorrow. Have a great Monday, everybody. Episode 81 in the books. On to the next one.